for listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Injustice has always marked this world. In 1986, Emerson Stevens was convicted of murdering Mary Harding. The problem is, is he didn't do it. Let that settle in for a moment. This is my nightmare. This is, I think, one of the worst things that could happen to somebody. Now, after 1986, uh, years later, a, a group of uh, lawyers who represented a nonprofit that kind of focused on these type of cases, they started working on his case. And what came out of that was is his entire case really hinged on uh, some hair follicle science that years later was totally debunked as junk science. And so they worked on that, making the case to the court that, listen, this conviction is based upon faulty science. And then once they kind of got over that hump, they were then able to see all the uh, documents that went into that case. And what they found was, is there was a lot of evidence that was withheld from the defense attorneys, including evidence that demonstrated how the police totally manipulated the situation in that case. And it really led to this man being convicted. Finally, in 2017, Emerson Stevens was paroled. Now, if you're doing the math, that's 31 years years. 31 years of birthday parties missed, 31 Christmases missed. During those 31 years, Emerson Stevens' parents passed away. He had a daughter passed away. His wife divorced him. But finally, he was uh, uh, released on parole. And in the next three years, he lost countless jobs because, you know, getting Uh, back into society is not an easy thing. There were also restrictions on his parole, and he just had trouble navigating all of it. However, two weeks ago, the governor of his state provided him with an absolute pardon. I can only imagine the questions that man had sitting in that jail cell for 31 years. Can you imagine the questions that he had? Can you imagine the type of prayers that he prayed? Where was this just God in his instance? Where was this all-powerful God who helps oppressed and vulnerable people in his story? Injustice has always marked this world to some degree. And when we see injustice, I think we naturally wonder about the justice of a sovereign God. Basically, what I'm getting at is when we see injustice, it raises some questions, doesn't it? Like when we see really awful things, I think naturally we ask questions about like, okay, is God really all powerful? Is God really just? Like does God really care? Maybe you've experienced an injustice and you've asked, does God really exist? And listen, if you're really honest, when you, you know, experience abuse or injustice in some way, you're gonna ask questions like, has God abandoned me? The Bible word for that is he, has he forsaken me? Has he left me? Is he really there? Why is God silent during suffering? Is his steadfast love really steadfast? Now listen, the the problem with all of this is, is if, you know, if you're a student of history, you know that there is suffering all over history, right? 
And there's always this sense of the powerful and the wealthy oppress those who are not. That's a theme that you see over and over again. And one of the, what I think is one of the really uh, sad, ironic aspects of history is whenever that's flipped, like whenever the weak and the poor become the rich and the powerful, you know what they do? They oppress everybody else. Like that's communism in a nutshell, okay? Like that's what happens in Christless utopian visions. They all tend to be very deadly in the end. They're all divorced from the gospel. Further, God's people have tended to experience pain and trials in this world at, at the hands of the wicked and the powerful. Listen, uh, you know, over uh, the sabbatical, one of the real passions God has given me is for the next generation. And I've just really grown in my heart for the next generation, children, students, young people. And the reality of it is, is we're stepping into a world where Christians, I wouldn't say, are persecuted in our country and in the rest, but they're certainly be, be, we're certainly being vilified. And there's certainly a cost that's coming. And so I have a real commitment to saying to that next generation, listen, God is calling you to faithfully persevere with courage. God is calling you to that. In the face of vilification, that's what's coming. And there's not, uh, you know, there's, uh, I think, a lot of good in that. There's a lot of bad in that. But that's just the reality of where we all know that we're heading. So if you uh, live faithfully, it might lead you to lament. And listen, you might be sitting here thinking, man, coming off sabbatical, I thought you'd be a little more hopeful to start this thing out. So let me encourage you. I am rejuvenated. I am energized. I'm very, very hopeful. But this is a lament psalm, okay? So we got to go down before we come up. Now be encouraged. Like all lament psalms, he is going to start with the problem, okay? But the bulk of this thing is getting to the solution, getting to these two great gospel hopes that we are supposed to believe in. So Psalm 94 is a lament. So he begins with the problems before he gets to the solution. And and here's what I'm driving at, that as we read Psalm 94, I want you to wrestle with it. If you're struggling through a painful trial, maybe it's oppression of the weak or oppression of God's people, you might be asking, has God abandoned me? And what I want you to see here is, is uh, uh, this, uh, this psalm provides these laments of, of these questions that he asks. But ultimately, I want you to see that there are two gospel solutions that I want you to believe. I want you to see that God's always faithful love always upholds us. So let's look at the questions first. Uh, psalm 94, verses 1 to 7. And we want to start with, is your lament leading to questions? He has some questions here. Follow along as I read in verse 1. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. And they murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. The psalmist is lamenting oppression and pain here. You see, he's experiencing uh, uh, not justice, but he's experiencing what is unfair and not right. The bad guys are winning in this psalm. 
Those who are in power are not using their power for the good. They're using it for the evil. The wicked and the arrogant continue on it. The good guys are getting crushed. The vulnerable are slaughtered. Now listen, this is a classic uh, lament psalm. And what that means is, is he's lamenting all the wrong that is going on here. And he's got a list. And that list is long and that list is painful in there. Friends, things are not as they should be. God's people and the vulnerable are going to experience hardships in this world. As a, maybe a, a secular materialist American, maybe this is a helpful illustration, maybe it's silly, but for secular materialist Americans, we see somebody driving by in a Mercedes and we think, he must be doing something right. He's got it together. But then when we see the guy in the old beat-up old pickup, which I like the old beat-up old pickup, But we see that guy and we assume, you know what, he's probably doing something wrong, maybe. What I'm trying to say here is the guy in the old beat up old pickup, he might be in the old beat up old pickup because he's being faithful. Sometimes faithfulness brings on these trials. And this is why the lament uh, uh, psalmist is, is so helpful because we find ourselves in these moments at different points in our lives. Now, there's two things going on in this first section of verses. There's a couple of petitions, and then there's a list of complaints. So let's look at the petitions first. The two uh, petitions, the first one's found in verses 1 and 2, is where he says, shine forth vengeance. What he's saying here is things are not as they should be. Things are dark. And he's asking God to shine the light of his justice on here. End this injustice. End all these things that are happening. Shine forth. Bring the light of the gospel. He's crying out in pain in this moment for the judge of the earth to bring the light of his justice into this moment. The psalmist is desperately pleading for God to manifest his glory, to bring about his kingdom, to make things as they should be. Have you ever cried out for that? Have you ever been in that moment where you've cried out, God, shine forth your vengeance. I need it here. The second petition is similar. He says, rise up and administer justice. It's as if God is sleeping in this moment. Wake up. Don't you see what's going on here? He's calling him to wake up. He's calling him to see what's going on here. He's calling him to hear the cries of his people. He's calling him to care. It seems like God doesn't even care what's going on here. He seems to be off duty. He seems to be out of pocket. And he's calling him to wake up and to set things right. He needs help, and he's asking God for help. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where the situation is not changing? It's only getting harder. Your prayers seem like they're just hitting the ceiling, and you're begging God to wake up. Let me give a side note here. Psalm 94 does not end in these four verses, okay? The reason why I say that is, I think that there's a sense in our culture that it's a virtuous thing to question God and to put God in the dock. That's not what he's doing here. Now, if he ended here, maybe that's what he's doing here. But no lament psalm ends there. That's just my friendly warning to be careful how you question God, okay? But, but there is something else to see here that, listen, the, the, the way he approaches God here says something about the psalmist's relationship with God. Number one, it says that he has a correct understanding of the way God views things. God is not an, uh, an unjust God. God is not a weak God. He's a sovereign good king, and the psalmist knows it, and so the psalmist is confused, so he has the right understanding of God. 
But also we see here that, listen, God, uh, he knows that God wants those things, but he has a close enough relationship with God to be able to confidently approach him in this way. Are you with me? So he knows about God and he knows God, and that's why he's able to speak to God in this way. Again, my friendly warning, it's not a virtuous thing to put God in the dock. It is a virtuous thing to be authentic and go to God with these things. But like all the psalmists, there's a turn here in a minute. We're not at that turn yet. We're at his list of complaints next. Let me run through these. He's got six or seven of them here. Six of them. Number one, starting in verse three to verse seven, the psalmist asks how long the wicked will rejoice. There's a sense that the wicked have the upper hand. And he's asking for how long. He, he knows that God, this is not the way God wants it to be, but he wants an end to this. Second, he complains that the, evils, uh, the evil people, they spew evil words. Listen, I don't buy the old, you know, words don't hurt. Words hurt a lot. And there's some evil going on with these words. And, and he's asking, when will, this, when will this stop? Third, the evil boast in their wickedness. And rather than getting humbled by their wickedness, they're actually kind of getting away with it, it seems like. Listen, when you raise your kids, you raise them the right way so that they know that, listen, when they do something wrong that, or, or something foolish, you know, there's consequences that come from that. That's, that's the way we all raise our kids, and that's the right way to raise our kids. But there seems to be something else going on here. It, it, their, their foolishness and their wickedness are actually leading to their advancement. His fourth complaint is, is the psalmist complains that the wicked are crushing and afflicting God's people. So it's not just in general the weak and the vulnerable, it's specifically God's people. And it's true that we're blessed to be in God's grace, but there are times when faithfulness leads to affliction. The fifth complaint is uh, the wicked are killing the vulnerable. God is to be the source of protection for the weak, right? But the weak are getting blown up. It's, uh, I think uh, uh, it sounds a lot like uh, what those folks were experiencing outside that Kabul airport a couple of weeks ago. The vulnerable. How vulnerable were those people? Where was the protection? This is what these people were feeling like. They're vulnerable, and instead of being taken care of, they're being killed. Sixth, and finally, the wicked mock God. They thought that God didn't see what they were doing, or God was powerless to stop it, or maybe he wasn't even there. And so they're mocking God. Romans 12, 19 teaches, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The psalmist is having a hard time believing that verse. Have you ever been there? Vengeance is mine. Leave it to me. Have you ever had a hard time holding back and not taking that vengeance into your own hand? It's hard to believe he was, uh, that he will make all things right and just and whole in that moment. Is, uh, is the pain you're experiencing causing you to ask some hard questions? Well, you're there today. God, through Psalm 94, is, is going to call you to believe two gospel truths that are the solution. The first one is, believe the Lord will not forsake his people. Follow along from verses 8 to 15. Understand, O oh, dullest of the people, fools, when, you, uh, when, uh, when will you be wise? He has planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? 
He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, and a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow. The psalmist is giving us some straight talk, isn't he? You see, he is uh, calling into question God's justice, and, and he's, those who do that, he's saying they are dull, they're foolish, and they're unwise. What's happening here is we're moving from a, from a lament to a sermon. He's starting to preach now, right? He's starting to say, listen, if that's what you believe, you're dull, you're foolish, and you're unwise. You see, the wicked oppressors think that, uh, that God, that they think that they're pretty sharp and they're getting away with something. And the psalmist is saying, you're dull, you're stupid, you're foolish in that type of thinking. That you think that you're getting away with something. Foolish people don't live for eternals, eternal joys, right? Foolish people live for today's pleasures. And that's what they were doing. They were living just for today. And they were, you know, dancing, if you will, to hell, thinking this is all that there is. I'm getting away with something. I can do what I want. But those who oppress God's people, they're unwise. They're lacking discernment. They think that they're getting away with something, but a lion is watching and waiting to pounce. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This passage actually gives us about four key instructions to his little sermon ad in here. Let's look at them in turn. From, in verses 9, we, we see this first instruction, which is the Creator hears the cries of the oppressed, and He sees the evil deeds of the wicked. So when we see wickedness in the world, we should certainly lament. We should ask questions. We, we should cry out to God for help and for justice. However, we should never forget that God hears those cries. God hears those prayers. God hears all and he sees all. God hears the cries of the murdered and abused in Afghanistan. And we're going to pray for them in a minute. God hears those cries. Those men are getting away with nothing. There's a day coming. He sees the evil that is happening and judgment is coming. Instruction number two, this is found in verses 10 and 11. The discipliner of nation knows the inner wicked thoughts of men and he knows that they are but a breath. God knows the wickedness in hearts, and he also knows the good news that those wicked people, they're just here for a breath. These things feel like the end of the world to us, and they're actually not. This is maybe a silly illustration, but when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler, there were things that just felt like the end of the world. Do you remember those days? Basically, I got dumped a lot, is what I'm getting at, okay? <laughs> Kristen did it one time in a note, which is the equivalent of texting, like a breakup text. It's always a sorry move, and I stood there reading that note at the, at the bus stop, and it was all I could do from just crying and just buckling down. It felt like the end of the world. Now, if you're keeping record, which I am, I think I won in the end on that one. Uh, it worked out just fine, but in the moment, it felt like the end of the world. And we have these moments, especially in pain and injustice, and it feels like the end of the world. And this verse reminds us, listen, this is just for a breath. 
That these evil men, this wickedness, it is just for a moment, and then eternity is coming. The oppressors and, and, and the abusers, they lose in the end. Their victories are fleeting. God says they're just here for a breath. The third instruction is, is found in verses 12 and 13, where he says the, the divine discipline and teaching, that it's a blessing because it provides rest in this broken world, and it also uh, enables God to bring justice to the wicked. So when discipline comes, it's a blessing. It's a blessing because it brings rest as well as judgment. And listen, I don't like discipline. And if you're anything like me, you do not like discipline. But the Bible teaches us that when God disciplines us and corrects us, it's a good thing. Job, and, uh, Job 5.17 says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. In Psalm 94, God is disciplining people. And those who will listen to that correction, those who will listen to that discipline, they are the blessed ones. They're going to find rest in this world that is not found otherwise. And they're going to find peace and, and, and rest into eternity. And those who don't listen to his correction, those who don't listen to his uh, admonitions and, and discipline, they're the ones that are going to not experience rest in this world and into eternity. The way we avoid uh, these pits that he talks about in verse 13. God has dug these pits for those who don't uh, uh, heed his warning. The way we avoid those pits is to hear and receive his teaching and discipline from his word. Fourth one, one last instruction. It's found in verses 14 and 15. God will not forsake his people, and he will not abandon his covenant promises. You see, rather, he will indeed bring about justice. All these other instructions are built upon the bedrock of the fact that God will not forsake his people. He's made promises, these covenant promises to his people, and he's going to keep his promises. He's going to keep his word. The Bible is clear that we will suffer in this life, and God doesn't want us to be surprised by suffering. The Bible is very clear that we will suffer in this life. However, the Bible also teaches that even though uh, punishment on the wicked might be delayed, and, and the unrighteous prosper for a season, ultimately, God promises justice for all. God does not forsake his people. He does not abandon his covenant promises. But the question is, do you believe that today? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God does not forsake his people when you're taken advantage of at work? Students, as you start a semester, I always remember getting that syllabus and just sinking at the amount of work and just overcome with fear and anxiety and, oh my goodness, and feeling the weight of all that syllabus shock where I'm overwhelmed by the pressures of the school. And then all of a sudden, you've got to go virtual again because someone in your class got COVID. And then, you know, all this mess that's going around you, students, do you believe that God will not forsake you in those moments? Listen, if your husband or wife abandons you, you find solace in the fact that Jesus never will. It is good and right to cry foul in the face of injustice. But always couple that lament with the conviction that God is with you in it. He will not forsake you. The Christian lament is different, isn't it? We're authentic and we're honest about the injustice of the world, but we always couple it with this belief that God will never abandon us. Look again at verse 14. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Do you believe that verse 
in every one of the sufferings and injustices you face. When you face injustice or become overwhelmed by fear, Psalm 94 is calling you to believe that God will never abandon you. God said it in Romans 8 this way, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when you lament, couple it with the good news of Jesus' uh, Jesus's presence, that he would never forsake his people. The second good news that we're to believe is we're to believe his steadfast love wins. Look at verses 16 to 23. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer me up, cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death, but the Lord has become my stronghold. And my God, the rock of my refuge, he will bring back on them their iniquity and he will wipe them out from their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. He has moved from lament to confession. And this is his final confession. He doesn't remain with those questions. He he doesn't remain with those uh, uh, lamenting concerns. He goes back to the confession that he has of the gospel. His lament has been transformed into confession. And, And there's a pattern there, right? When we're lamenting, the way forward through it, the way you get out of it is going back to those gospel confessions. What do you believe in those, mo- in those moments? And I think what he does here is he makes four points. The first one is in verses 16 and 17, where he says, in the face of the, of the brokenness of the world, the psalmist confesses that the Lord will rise up and help. Remember when he was crying out for him to rise up and wake up? Well, he believes that he is going to do it. If we can't confess this type of God, then there's really no hope for the vulnerable, Right? I know there's platitudes that float around in our society that like we're our own hope and all that business. That is so empty to me. That is so empty and foolish. That platitude does not work for me. There are vulnerable people in this world and I don't think they have any confidence in us, okay? Sorry, I'm picking on Afghanistan, but it's out there and it's real. You think the ladies in Afghanistan have this hope for Americans today? I don't think they have any hope in us. I I don't have ultimate hope in humanity to fix all of our problems. You see, real hope is found in a Lord who will rise up and help. That's where real hope is found. That's not to say we don't do good laws and we don't do all these things, but it's to say ultimately our hope is found in a Lord who will rise up and help. Revelation 21.5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's a better hope than Americans fixing something. The second point, verses 18 and 19, he says that in the face of the brokenness of the world, the psalmist confesses the Lord's hesed, 
holds secure. If you're new with us, we say this regularly, that the theme of the Psalms is this Hebrew term, hesed. And it's typically translated, steadfast love. The theme of the Psalms is that God has this steadfast love for us. This love that is unmoved. That through the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs, it remains always faithful. It's not changed by the circumstances. We can have confidence in it into the future. We have a whole history of, of him demonstrated in the past. And he promises us this hesed, always faithful love. It always remains. It consoles every fear. That love upholds us no matter what the trial is. Seasons of lament don't have to lead to ultimate falling away because when we slip, it says here that his steadfast love will hold us steady. Amen? You've got those stories, don't you? You've got those stories just like the psalmist has. The brokenness in this world is real, but so is his love. The brokenness of this world is, is real, but his love is more real. Therefore, when we believe in our hearts, we can find cheer and we can find joy no matter the circumstances of this world. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. And all that is based upon his steadfast love. With the third of four points here in this final section, in verses 20 and 21, he basically says that in the face of the brokenness of the world, the psalmist confesses the Lord will not compromise with or side with or alive with the wicked. There's always a pressure. They're in power. They're wicked. We'll have some sort of a compromise with them. God never does that. God always sides with the righteous even if they're vulnerable, even if they have no material wealth, even if it doesn't seem like there's any gain in that, God always sides uh, with the righteous. Do you know why? Because God is always holy. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He's always holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. He never sides with the wicked. He always sides with the righteous. And fourth and finally, rather, in the face of the brokenness of the world, the psalmist confesses that the Lord will uphold his people and he will wipe out the wicked. The psalmist is in a position that maybe you are today where he can't fix what is wrong. He can't change the injustice around him. And you might be in a similar place. He can't heal the brokenness of the world. He can't wipe out all the evil that's out there. However, he finds hope knowing that God will. That's the great promise of this. He finds peace and comfort and perseverance even, believing that God is going to make things right. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. His grace is sufficient. He believes that God's grace is sufficient and that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When you lament, couple it with the belief that God's steadfast love always wins. His love always steadies. His, his love always consoles. His love always makes things right and whole and new. You see, when the brokenness of the world stings the most, we're to believe that his always faithful love always wins in the end. God's always faithful love always upholds us. Amen? Amen? Psalm 94 is a lament that the powerful are oppressing the weak and the faithful. But, but I do want to just make one thing clear. 
The powerful are always not uh, 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 wicked, and the powerful are always not uh, taking advantage or oppressing the weak or God's people. I thought of a, a good image of this this week. I teach a little class at a Christian high school, and we have a, uh, I have a boss that I report to. Uh, she's the headmaster of our school. She's in a power position over me. If she doesn't like me, she can fire me. But she is a good boss. She cares about me. She checks in on me. Uh, uh, she advocates for me. She challenges me to be better. She, uh, she encourages me to grow. So you can be in that power position and, and not be in reference here of 94, okay? We're, we're not saying anything. Uh, we're not pushing that in places where we're not intending it for it to go. But there has always also been a reality that many who are in power positions or many who are wealthy, they, they end up oppressing those who are not and oppressing the faithful. This is simply signs of the broken world around us. It's just the nature of our world. However, a more accurate understanding of all the injustice that goes around us, a really better understanding of it is that God is just delaying his loving justice. That's really uh, the evaluation of our world. It's just God is delaying it. He's going to bring about justice, and his justice is loving. It just means that we're waiting. We're in a season of waiting in this life. This is not heaven. This is not our ultimate hope. No vote can bring about our ultimate hope. No, no perfect way of raising our children can bring about this perfect hope. This is not heaven. This is not our hope. We're waiting for things to come and when things will be made right and new. However, the good news of Psalm 94 is that God gives us these two truths to help us in these waiting seasons. He's calling us to believe these two things. He's calling us to believe in the goodness of his presence and the goodness of his love. That no matter the ups and downs of this world, his presence remains and his love remains. They're steadfast. They're always faithful. No matter what comes in this world, his presence and his love are always there. God is promising you in Psalm 94, 14 to not forsake or abandon you. No matter how difficult this world gets, he is with us. His spirit is giving us the power we need. He's giving us uh, the perseverance we need. He's giving us the patience we need. You see, there's times where we need power that we don't, uh, that we don't have. We need power to forgive or we need power to uh, bite our tongue. And he is going to be with us in those moments. There's times where we need his presence, that we are not, we don't have the ability to persevere in faithfulness. And you know what? He is there with us in those moments. He promises to be right there with us. There's times where we struggle to be patient with things. We're in this trial and we're suffering and we keep crying out, how long, O Lord? And his presence is right there with us. Our job is to believe it. Our job is to trust in him today. Are you separating yourself from your problem and then looking at that problem with confession and prayer and praise and saying, God, you are with me there, therefore I know it's going to be okay? Is that how you're viewing your troubles today? God's also promising in Psalm 94, 18, that when you stumble, his steadfast love will hold you up. You see, when the world knocks you down, he will lovingly pick you back up. You see, when you waver, and we all do, he will lovingly restore you. You see, when you blow it, he will lovingly receive you back. You see, when the injustice or pain is so overwhelming, he will lovingly carry you through those moments. Again, our job is to believe it. 
What's causing you to slip today? What is crushing you today? What, what, uh, are you trusting in God's love in those moments? Are you believing that he is lovingly with you, carrying you through those things? Are you looking at your pain? Are you confessing and are you praying and are you believing God's love is always faithful and he's gonna uphold me through this? Is that how you're viewing the struggles that you're walking through today? Listen, that's the gospel, isn't it? This is why Jesus came and died. This is why he incarnated himself in the world, was to defeat sin and death. This is why he got up on that cross to atone for your sins. This is why he is uh, making all things right. This is why he's calling you to repent and believe, to turn from these old sins, to believe something better. But the good news maybe in this passage is, is it only even gets better from that because he has this present ministry. He's not done yet. He's coming back. And even though we're waiting today, there's going to be a day when it's all made right. Let me end with Revelation 6. It's a weird passage, like a lot of them in Revelation, okay? But in Revelation 6, there's kind of some similarities to Psalm 94 in that they're suffering and that they're waiting. Now, if some of you, you know Revelation, so you know what's in there. This is the seven seals and this is the four horsemen, right? So in that, the, the, the four horsemen, there's four different horsemen, and the, well, the horses are four different colors. You've got a white one, you've got a red one, you've got a black one, you've got a pale one. And the whole image climaxes in, in um, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, where it says that the pale horse whose rider is named Death and Hell followed with him. That's suffering. If you're in that world where the pale horse is coming through and death is following with him. And you know what they do in that moment? They do what we would do. They, they do what they did in Psalm 94. And they, they cry out. They cry out in their suffering. They cry out to the one who can help them. Revelation 6.10 says, And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge? How long before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, O Lord? Is this where you are with your pain today? Are you left crying out, How long, O Lord? This is where he opens the psalm. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud for what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? How long, O Lord? I don't know all the answers to that question, but I do know how Revelation 6 ends. Can I close with that? Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell on the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that has been rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain. Verse 16, calling to the mountains and the rocks, they said, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Friends, I have greatly missed you. And if the brokenness of the world has gotten hard for you, God is not calling you to a Pollyann praise. He is calling you to something better. He's calling you to believe in the good news of his presence. 
He's calling you to believe in the good news of his love. The struggles are real, but his presence and his love are also real. God's always faithful love is always faithful. Jesus came, Jesus left, and Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he is bringing justice with him. Father God, there's a day. There's a day. It's not today. Lord God, there is suffering in this world like there has always been. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. I lift up those dying brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Seeing those emails of missionaries on the phone with the church that they planted and hearing people break into that home and the line going dead. We lift up those dear brothers and sisters. We love them. We know the day is not today, but the day is coming. Your justice is good. And we pray for it, Lord. And Lord, until then, I pray that we would be a people, no matter the struggles that come, that we would find great solace, great comfort, great perseverance and patience in the fact that you are always with us and the fact that your love is steadfast. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.